0: Listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. As you saw in the title, I'm gonna deal with an important, important subject: seven prosperity myths. That you need to avoid at all costs. Seven prosperity myths that you need to avoid at all costs. Uh, One of the biggest issues we face in this day and age, especially with uh, technology being where it is, communication being where it is, uh, is that everybody's an expert. And so you've got all these people. And one of the things I talked about last night, I know we're not streaming, but one of the things I dealt with is that you've got everybody that, you know, anybody that has, and it's funny that I'm saying this like on a YouTube channel and on Facebook, but anybody that has access to a YouTube channel or Facebook feels like they're an expert. However, they've never done anything in the ministry. They've never even, many of them have never even studied to be in the ministry. They're just people with loud opinions about how things in church should be. And, um, Uh, They take all their time to bash ministers, to bash churches, to bash the way some Christians believe. And uh, literally they've got no fruit, no ministry, nothing to point to that they've done for the Lord. They're not even called by God to be ministers. And uh, not only that, they'll put out thoughts that are completely erroneous and contradictory to scripture. And that's why today I'm gonna deal with seven of the most common ones that you will hear when it comes to uh, the subject of prosperity. You know, I always laugh when people talk about the prosperity gospel. That always makes me laugh. There is no prosperity gospel. There's just the gospel. There's just the good news about what Jesus did. That's all. There's no prosperity gospel. There's no healing gospel. There's no health and wealth gospel, if you've ever heard any of those terms. What a stupid thing to say. Well, he preaches that health and wealth gospel. That's what Jesus preached. (laughs) I never saw one person that Jesus ministered to as he was preaching the gospel. I never saw one person that Jesus ministered to that was sick. And then he, when he encountered their life, when he encountered them coming to him, he said, I'm sorry, actually, what you don't realize is that this thing that you're dealing with is from my father in heaven. And so I'm not going to minister to you. I'm not going to pray for you. I'm not going to lay hands on you. I'm not going to speak the word to you because you're supposed to be going through this right now. You'll never find that in the Bible. You won't find that in the new Testament that Jesus, you know, there, these people that criticize the health gospel, these people preaching the health gospel. Let me tell you, Jesus preached the health gospel. Jesus, every single person, even when they were breaking the law, Jesus healed them. Did you ever think about that? The Bible says that lepers approached Jesus. And in order to do that, they had to break the law of Moses. Because when you had leprosy, you were supposed to stay outside of the camp. You were not supposed to be able to approach anybody because of how contagious your disease was. And if you read the law of Moses, The Bible says that anybody that did come back in towards society when they were leprous, the punishment was that they were supposed to be stoned to death. So here are lepers that are breaking the law of Moses, literally risking their lives to see if Jesus would heal them of their disease. And Jesus said, I'm willing. That's exactly what he told him. I'm willing. And then he healed them and told them to go show themselves to the priest. And so you'll never find one place, never find one place in scripture where Jesus did not deliver health to those that were seeking health, healing to those that were seeking healing. He preached and acted out a health gospel. (laughs) So all these people that talk about the health and wealth gospel, you look at the apostles, what did they preach? They preached health. They laid their hands on the sick and they recovered. All of those things took place through the hands of the apostles and the Christians of the early church. It continued on, by the way, into the first century, second century, third century churches. We have writings from the early church fathers confirming that they were still seeing signs and wonders and miracles. You read Polycarp, Irenaeus. You can go and read, um, you know, I mean, I I did a whole study on this and listed it in a video that I did. You can go go through and read any of them and see that they're seeing signs, wonders, and miracles, even people being raised from the dead. And so, uh, you know, to teach that there's some health gospel that's a false gospel, you've not read your Bible, nor have you read church history. And then to somehow believe that God doesn't have a desire for his children to be blessed financially, you'd have to be Um, a fool. You'd have to be an absolute fool to believe that God doesn't have any interest in blessing his children financially. Even, And I've mentioned this again on the broadcast. I've mentioned it before and I'll say it again here because it's appropriate. Even reformed theologian and Bible scholar, the late R.C. Sproul, believed and put into print that he believed that God was interested in the financial well-being of his children. He put that into print. It's not just like something he said uh, one time accidentally and hoped he could take it back and hope nobody was taking video of it. He put it into print in his book that he believed God was interested in the financial well-being of his children, that he wanted to see them blessed financially. R.C. Sproul believed in tithing and offerings. And so even those that are studied, you know, they, they have to admit by looking at the word of God, God's interested in the financial well-being of his children, you can't read the Old and the New Testaments and and not see and understand God's interested in the financial well-being of his children. We see these things uh, as pictures and narrative in the Old Testament. You know, it's like if God wasn't interested in blessing His servants, who was it? Who was the person that made Abraham rich? Then, was it the devil? The, did the devil see Abraham being faithful to God, being faithful to the covenant, doing things that please God, and then the devil blessed him with wealth, with gold and silver and cattle, the Bible says? Who was it that blessed Isaac? Was it the devil? Who was it that blessed Jacob? Who was it that blessed David? Who was it that blessed Solomon? Who? I mean, you go through the Old Testament. Who was it that brought these men into overwhelming blessing financially? Who was it that caused churches in the New Testament to prosper and then have the ability not just to prosper, but to be a blessing to other churches? Who was it? Was it the devil or was it God? It was God. And so I'm going to deal today instead of, as I said, you need to share it because today I'm going to deal with seven of the most common pushbacks. And I call them myths because I'm going to show you from, God bless you. Phil, uh, I'm gonna deal with the most common myths that I've heard, and I'm sure you've heard, and we're gonna deal with them from the scripture about what the Bible says regarding what I'm gonna call myths, because they are myths, and and people use them to cancel out the message of financial abundance for the people of God. We're gonna deal with it from the scripture and talk about why it's foolish to make these uh, statements, make these arguments. And so, as I give you the seven, write them down, put them in your Bible, highlight, write it in the comments and get this into your spirit. Because number one, I want you to hear this. What have we been confessing? That God is going to perform wonders in the final quarter of this year. And then when we step into 2022, it's a year of divine possession in the mighty name of Jesus. And it'd be good to write that in the comments. It's going to be my year of divine possession to have what we've never had, do what we've never done, in Jesus name. And so, um, (laughs) the first one I want to deal with today that I want you to put in the comments. First myth we're going to deal with is number one, money is evil. Number one, money is evil. That's the first myth, uh, that we're going to deal with. And we're going to, we're going to deal with how people quote, misquote the Bible. What do they say? Well, you know what the Bible says, brother, money is the root of all evil. Is that what the Bible says? And that's what the, I I, I can't even tell you how many people I've heard say that and quote that wrong. Well, brother, you know, I don't want to have, I don't want to have too much money. You know what the Bible says? Money is the root of all evil. Bible doesn't say that anywhere in the scripture. You won't find that anywhere in the Bible. It's not there. It's not there. Turn to first Timothy chapter six you're not going to find that teaching that money is evil. In fact, one of the things that I need to point out to you at the very beginning of this is that money is an inanimate object. It's not good or evil. It just is. (laughs) You either have it or you don't, but money's not good and money's not evil. It's what you do with money that is good. It's what you do with money that becomes evil. Money doesn't make you evil money doesn't make you good. It just amplifies what you already are. I'm gonna say that again because people need to get this in their heart. Money doesn't make you good and money doesn't make you evil. It just amplifies who you already are, what's already in your heart. What do I mean by that? Well, if you've got a righteous person that gets money, you've got a righteous person that acquires wealth, then it's just gonna amplify who they already are. You know, if I was being righteous before I stepped in to my abundance, let me tell you, that money is going to amplify my righteousness, which which it already has in my life and it has in your life. You know, I can remember a day when we weren't feeding hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children every day. I can remember that day. I can remember a day when we weren't preaching the gospel in 180 nations of the world. I can remember a day we weren't on any television networks <laughs> preaching any gospel in any nation. I can remember a day when I'd never traveled overseas. I can remember a day when I couldn't afford to do anything, hardly anything at all. But look what happens. You're faithful to God. You, li- you live faithful to the call on your life. You live faithful to the word. You live holy. And then God raises you up and then increase continues to come. Well, look what's happened because I'm a righteous person. Now that God has blessed me with more abundance than I've ever had, guess what's happened? My righteous works, my righteous actions have abounded. It just amplified who I already am. It just amplified who I already am. That's why if you look at a, uh, somebody that's unrighteous, look, look, at, look at a lottery winner. Look at a lottery winner who, um, you know, wasn't living righteous, wasn't living for the Lord. They had issues of their own, but they get all that money And it destroys their life. Why? Because it amplifies the wickedness that's in their life. Now they can afford more drugs, better drugs, more powerful drugs. Now they can afford to be a jerk to everybody they were only a little bit of a jerk to before because they couldn't afford to be a jerk. Now their relationships fall apart because everything is uh, in in destruction mode. (laughs) Now that they have money, they can go and do crazy things that they couldn't do before. And that's what happens. Money amplifies. That's why if you go study lottery winners, the majority of them it destroys their life. They get addicted to drugs. They break. It breaks up their families. They have. They have issues. Why? Because luck put them into a place that their character couldn't keep them. And so it's not the money that's evil. It's just that money amplifies who you already are. That's the whole point. Money's not evil. So what does the Bible say about that? Then that people misquote. Um, the Bible says in. First uh, Timothy chapter six, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, <laughs> not money, the love of money. And for anybody that may watch later say, well, you know, he didn't read the whole context. I'll read you the whole context because it's talking about false teachers in the church. Um, people that are teaching a different doctrine puffed up with pride, understands nothing. Unhealthy craving for controversy and quarreling that produces envy, dissension, slander, and suspicions, constant friction among the people, Um, deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So there's a difference, isn't there, between greed and godliness. There's a difference between greed and godliness. There's a difference between... um, Uh, lusting after things, lusting after possessions. There's a difference between uh, looking at something someone else has and wishing it was yours and godliness with contentment. I'm not preaching against contentment. I'm preaching that there is an abundance to be had because you have a covenant with God, but it's, it's about your heart. It's about your spirit, man. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, to many senseless and harmful desires. So see, it's, it's about where your desires are placed. And this, what the, what Apostle Paul's teaching the younger man in the gospel, Timothy, is that you have to look at what the desires of your hearts are, of your heart is. You have to look at what your goal is. If you're just pushing to be rich, if your desire is riches, you're headed in the wrong direction. But if your desire is to please God, which is what it should be, my desire is to please God. My desire is to live holy, free from sin. My desire is to see people saved. My desire is to do what I'm called to do. If that's your focus, if that's your desire, then what are you doing? Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what takes place? All of these other things will be added unto you. And so what the scripture actually teaches in context is that if you put God first, there's no way you can't walk into the blessing. It's not because you've put your pursuit of of riches or, or natural things first. That's wicked to do. And that you're greedy for gain and that you treat Christianity like it, all it is is an opportunity for financial gain. That's not what it is. We live to please the most high God. We live holy to please him. We obey his word to please him. He's our master. But let me tell you something. When you please the master, when you do what he's called you to do, when you operate according to his principles, then the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and adds no sorrow to it comes upon your life. There's no way you can obey God and diminish. There's no way you can obey God and continue to fall. In fact, I preached from it last night, Psalm 1, Someone's a perfect picture that if you delight yourself in the law of the Lord, meditating on it, and you make sure you don't stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful or join in with mockers, but delight yourself in the law of the Lord. Guess what? You'll be like a tree that is planted by rivers of water that your leaves will never wither. You'll prosper in all you do. You'll bear fruit in every season. Why? Just because you're living your life to please the Lord. Money's not evil. Money's inanimate. Money is what you make it to be. It's just a tool. I'm not sitting around with a lust for money or a love of money. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I'm just as happy. See, here's here's the thing. And it, it really, it's amazing to me. I'm gonna give you something that'll help you. This will really help you. When everything means nothing to you, God can give you everything. I want you to think about that for a minute. When everything means nothing, you. God can give you anything. And I I finally got into the place and I have, trust me, I have very nice things, but I don't care. That's the point. I don't care. So it's easy to say that brother, when you have them, no, I didn't care before. I didn't care before. And and you think about like this, uh, you know, there's some people, everything that they, everything they do tell me if you've ever put a hand up if you've ever seen somebody like this anywhere they go everything they do everything that they have to show you how much nice stuff they have everything they wear they got a Gucci belt Gucci shirt Gucci loafers they you know there's a brand name on everything they have to look like decked out in like designer labels in everything they have and it's not wrong to have designer things I've got them my wife has them I'm sitting here and this was not planned but I'm sitting here Preaching to you on prosperity in a Walmart shirt. This is a Walmart logo. This shirt is from Walmart. If I turned around, it would say prices falling every day. <laughs> this is a Walmart shirt that I bought at Walmart. I'm not sitting here saying, well, if I'm truly going to be a prosperity preacher, I'm going to go get me an Armani suit. I've got nice suits. I've got custom made suits, but that's not what defines my blessing. It's just something that came because of the blessing. I'm just as happy. I want you to hear, I want you to hear something. And I'm, I mean this with all my heart. I am just as happy sitting here talking to you in a, a Walmart shirt as I would be sitting here talking to you in a custom made suit, which I have in the closet. That doesn't matter. I'm just as happy sitting here talking to you in an Apple watch with a rubber ring on as I would be if I was sitting here, I have a watch that's like a $12,000 watch that was given to me. I could buy one, it was given to me. I could wear rings that have diamonds in them. I've got them, but I'm just as happy sitting here talking to you in an Apple watch in a rubber ring in a Walmart shirt. <laughs> as if I would be in a custom made suit and a $12,000 watch and a diamond ring because it's about contentment. I don't care. I don't care and you can't care. It's the people that are always struggling to get more. They got to keep up with the Joneses. You better be careful when things run you. You better be careful when things run you. You have a problem in your life. When things run you, you always have to go get the next thing. You always got to have it. And it's a status symbol to you. It's a form of pride. And this is what the apostles talking about. It's a form of pride that people feel like they always have to have every new thing And, and, and you know, I gotta get more, I gotta have more, greed for more. It's a problem, it's a problem. And so you have to learn how content, there's nothing wrong with contentment, it brings great gain, it's godliness, it's godliness. Paul said, I'm happy in whatever state I find myself, happy. Doesn't mean you don't press for more and believe God for the best he has for you, it just means that you're not sitting around unhappy and sitting around bent out of shape How come he's driving an Escalade and I don't have an Escalade? How come he's got that? It's not about that. It's not about that at all. You have to be content with where you are currently. Doesn't mean you don't press for more, but it means you're not greedy. It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Why is that? Because the moment you begin to love money, go with me to Matthew chapter six. You're going to see. What happens when you love money? It's a massive problem. Matthew chapter six, Jesus tells us what happens when we start to love money. Jesus says, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters for either either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and Money. That's what Jesus said. You cannot serve God and money. But because I serve God wholeheartedly, I will have money. (laughs) Think about that. Because I choose to be led by the Spirit of God, to obey the Word of God, I will have money. It would be impossible for me not to abound because I tithe, I give largely, I live holy. I obey the word and I obey the voice and the leading of the Holy Spirit, and I'm accomplishing the calling and purpose that he's placed upon my life. How could I not prosper when when all those parameters are in place? How could I not prosper? How could I not go to a place of overflow when I obey in tithing, I obey in giving, I bless the poor every single day, I obey the word, I obey the voice of the Holy Spirit, and I'm engaged in my purpose? How could I not be blessed? God does not punish those who obey his word. He blesses those that obey his word. And part of the way the blessing comes is financial increase. To read the Bible and not understand that, you'd have to tear so many stories out of the Bible, so many, instead of twisting scripture to make it say what you want it to say. Well, money's the root of all. Money's not the root of all evil. The love of money is. You can't serve God and money. And that's myth number one that money is evil and anybody that has money, you know, and maybe you grew up in a house like that where, you know, people were always talking like that about rich people. You got to watch out for those filthy rich people. You know, they're, they're always doing crooked stuff behind the scenes. You know what that does? It conditions you to think being rich equates to being crooked. There's something wrong. If you grew up in a home like that, you need to wash that out of your brain. You need to immediately wash that out of your brain. That being wealthy is equated with being crooked. All these rich people, they think and, and immediately the moment you think of riches, you think of crookedness, that you have to be crooked if you're wealthy. No, that's not the case. That's not the case. There are crooked people that are wealthy, but God's people are holy and God will bless his people with abundance. He'll bless his people with wealth. Number two, the second myth That you need to have debunked is this thought of if you are wealthy, it's just harder and harder for you uh, to go to heaven. Now, well, you know, rich people, you know, I've even heard people take it as far as saying, you know, rich people won't enter into heaven. The Bible definitely doesn't say that. I'm still in Matthew, and I'm in Matthew chapter 19. I want you to go there with me. And of course, we know that this is the story of the rich young ruler who approaches Jesus. Well, you know, rich people, they can't get to heaven or whatever you might want to say. We're going to say what Jesus said to his disciples and we're going to break it down so that we can truly understand what it is that Jesus was talking about. And you know this, and I'm not going to get into it today, but you know that I believe Jesus had an abundance of wealth. We know, I mean, historically we know that he had uh, an abundance of wealth given to him when he was a young child. The Bible says that wise men came and opened unto him their treasure bags. Here were wise men that brought, now now you have to remember this, this is why Herod was killing people, because he thought, as as did the wise men, that an actual king was being born. A king that was going to have a, 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 a natural or a, uh, a political platform to rule. Herod thought, I'm in danger because he's gonna come take the throne from me. So why did he start killing babies? That's why. And even the wise men thought that. They didn't realize it was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so when they came, and it, it, by the way, it was not three wise men like you see in the, <laughs> in the nativity scenes at Christmas time. The Bible says nothing like that doesn't say three wise men came to Jesus. You know, one black one, one white one, and one Asian one to keep diversity in the nativity. No, we don't know exactly how many wise men came, but there was a caravan and they believed they were coming to pay homage to an actual king. And they brought gifts that were worthy of a king. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. Do you know Bible scholars actually believe that it was the money brought to Jesus and his family when he was about two years old, that uh, paid all of their expenses as they left the nation and moved to Egypt for the time where Herod was under, uh, was in control until they could come back into the nation of Israel and that all, everything was paid. They had more than enough money. They had the gold. They had the frankincense. They had the myrrh. They had all they needed. From the time he was a boy, he had more than enough. From the time he was a little child, Jesus had an abundance of wealth. Jesus carried, and I won't get into it too much, but I'll I'll get into that. You know what? No, I'll wait. I'll wait, because I want to give these to you sequentially. It's hard for a rich man to enter heaven. Well, that's what Jesus said, but what's he talking about? What is he talking about? If I'm already saved, I want you to think about this. If I've already received the gospel, and I've already confessed that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, guess what? I'm saved, I'm saved. And so, if, God, if I'm obeying God's word and God's blessing me, and as I said, as he blesses me, my acts of righteousness are increasing. I'm blessing the house of God, I'm blessing the poor, I'm being a blessing to those in need. You know, as, that all, as that's all happening, How in the world is that taking me out of the kingdom of God? Well, you think the more money I get, it's going to cancel out my salvation. You think it's like scales, the more money you get, the less saved you are. And if you get too much money, you're not saved anymore. That's not what Jesus was talking about. First of all, one of the things that one, one of the things that you need to recognize is that Jesus had not died on the cross yet. So there was no true salvation at this point. He was still alive on the earth, teaching and preaching. So there was no redemption. There was no salvation at this point in the Bible. And so one of the things you need to understand is that the rich man that he was even talking to, the wealthy, the rich young ruler, he wasn't a Christian. He was someone that has tried to keep the law of Moses since he was a young boy, the Bible says, but he wasn't a Christian. But one of the things that Jesus is trying to show to the disciples, and I will uh, read to you from uh, Matthew 19. He didn't say it's impossible for the rich people to come into the kingdom of heaven. He said, it's a hard thing. Look at this, Matthew 19, 23. And Jesus said to his disciples after the rich men had left uh, in sorrow, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And listen to this. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished saying, well, then who can be saved? Why did they say that? You know why they said it? You know why they were greatly astonished? Because all of them had money. They had businesses. Peter had a business. He had boats on shore, on the shores of Galilee. He had a house that was apparently large enough to hold Jesus and his mother-in-law and all the disciples and himself to entertain them. Peter had money. The disciples had money. That's why they were greatly astonished. And they said, well, if that's the case, then who can be saved? Because we're your disciples. Well, that's why they said that. Who then can be saved, Lord? And Jesus looked at them and said, well, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So it's not impossible, but what Jesus is trying to say is and this is I know this to be true just from experience. When you're preaching to unsaved people, it's a big different thing, very different. There's a chasm between these two things. Preaching to somebody who's in need, preaching to someone who is in an emergency situation, preaching to somebody who's in physical need, financial need, emotional need, whatever that is, you can see that they're poor in certain areas, they need help. And because they're in that place of desperation, that gospel message to them is something that they will respond to seemingly more quickly than somebody who has more than enough, who's sitting there in the congregation or sitting in your crusade or wherever it might be, And you begin to tell them that they're in need of a life change. And the problem is that they sit there thinking to myself, I've got all I need. I got more than enough. I, you know, all my bills are paid. I got tons in the bank. You know, my family's taken care of. All my kids are going to A-list schools. You know, I don't need any help from these people. I'm doing fine all by myself. And when you look at your riches and trust in them, that's the problem. And Jesus is saying, when there's a rich person, who feels like they've got it all together. They got all they need. They don't need any help from anybody, including God. You're in a problem. It is hard for someone like that to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why? They think they've got everything they need. They don't need your salvation. They don't need your help. And that's why there was a great man of God, and I'm trying to remember which one it was that said this. I need to write this down because I always forget it. But the quote was, "Um, you can't get people saved Until you first get them lost. I thought that was such a great quote that people, you can't truly get people saved until you get them lost. What does that mean? If people that you're are listening to you preach are sitting there just thinking, everything's fine with me. I don't need any help. You've got to preach and show people you've got a need for a savior that you're not fine. You're not okay. You're dead in trespasses and sins. Without a savior, you're on your way to hell. Your money can't save you. Your 401k can't save you. Your, 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 uh, your hedge fund manager can't save you. Your alumni at, at Harvard and Yale can't save you. And before you can get someone saved, you gotta get them lost. They have to understand I need a savior, the conviction of the Holy ghost. That's when you, that's why when you preach the self-help gospel and all you preach is that, you know, uh, everything's an encouragement. Oh, you're all doing wonderful. You know, people need to know if you're living in sin, you're not doing wonderful. If you're disobeying the word of God, you're not doing wonderful. You need the help of a savior. But when people have this mindset that, you know, I don't need any help, I got everything in place, that's why it's hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven is they feel like they have everything they need and don't need any more help. That's the point Jesus is making, that the riches begin to control you. They control your actions, they control your mindset. See, that's how an unsaved person deals with riches. A person that is not unsaved, a person that's righteous, they will deal differently with riches because they're not serving money as we covered, they're serving the Lord. And so money doesn't control you. The Holy Spirit does. His word does. Makes you a whole lot different when you have that kind of a mindset. Money's not evil or good. It just amplifies what you are. And so those two need to be covered immediately. Number three, oh, you always hear about this stuff. You start talking about the blessing. And then somebody always pops up. Well, I know a man that pleased God and he was attacked financially. His name was Job. What about Job? What about Job? What about Job? And people throw that in your face. You know, that that message of blessing can't be real because Job served God and was faithful to God and he was completely attacked and had everything taken from him. And he began to talk about how it was God. Oh, really? Let me give you just a couple thoughts on Job. Number one, Job opened the door to the attack of the enemy through fear. Job chapter 3 and verse 25, the Bible says, Job said from his mouth, The thing that I have greatly feared has come upon me. The thing that I feared greatly has come upon me. Fear is wrong. The Bible says in Romans 14, Anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. Anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. Fear. To fear when you have a a most high God that's watching over you is to say, God is not enough to take care of you. God is not enough to protect you. He's not enough to heal you. He's not enough to provide. Fear is sin. Why? Because we're saying God's not enough. Job opened the door. Not only that, what, what is one of the things that we need to understand? Yes, Job had a covenant with God. That's why he was giving sacrifices daily. But notice how he did it. He gave those sacrifices, not out of faith, out of fear, the Bible says, that he would sacrifice daily on behalf of his children because, Tiffany said, I think it was D.L. Moody that said that quote, and that sounds right. Um, He was giving those sacrifices out of fear because he said, I'm giving these sacrifices in case any of my children have sinned and displeased the Lord, in case they have. Well, that's a, that's a sacrifice out of fear, not out of faith. I'm doing this just in case they displease you. No, that, that's you expecting your children to fail. And so he, not only did he fear those evil things, he was taking actions through that fear. And then he starts saying all this stuff out of his mouth about God and how God treats him. And then we got people singing it in churches. He gives and takes away as though God is stripping Job's children from him. God is stripping Uh, what did God say to Satan? Everything Job has is in your hand. It's not in my hand. It's in yours. God didn't do it. God was clear about who did it. And at the end, after Job got the fire rebuked out of him, he said out of his own mouth in Job 42 and verse three, man, I spoke about things that I had no idea about. So Job finally gets rebuked enough to understand I was talking about things I had no idea about. And do you realize how long Job's life was? It was long. He had a long life. Do you know how long these problems persisted in his life? His long, long life. Scholars tell us about 18 months. That's it. 18 months of struggle that that God finally delivered him from. And then God gave him a double portion So it was Satan that stole from him, it was Satan that attacked him, Satan that came against him, and then God gave him a double portion. And the end of his life was far greater than the beginning of his life. So once again, it's God bringing financial increase to people, it's the devil stealing. So if anybody ever asks you about Job, point those three things out. He feared greatly, took actions of fear, though he had a covenant, and then he began to say things that he didn't even know what he was talking about. Didn't even know what he was talking about. Number four, fourth myth we need to cover. Jesus was poor. Now I started in and I I held back. Well, you know, how could you believe that when our own master Jesus was poor? Oh, was he? You believe Jesus was poor? You believe Jesus was poor? Yep, Jesus was poor. People think that Jesus was born in a manger, in a barn, in a stable, because his family didn't have money to get a hotel room. (laughs) Number three, Bonnie, was uh, people using the excuse about Job. Well, if God's so good, how come God did what he did to Job? And Job pleased God, but how come Job got attacked financially and got attacked physically and all those things? And they used Job as an excuse uh, to come against the pro- not only, Not to mention, Job didn't even have a covenant anywhere close to what we have. Not anywhere close. Not anywhere close. Hebrews says we have a better covenant established upon better promises. Number four, Jesus was poor, brother. You got to realize Jesus was poor. You think he was? You think Jesus didn't have anything? And then they'll always use a verse out of context. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. That's what you think Jesus was talking about? He had nowhere to lay down. (laughs) You honestly believe that? Jesus had nowhere to lay down. The Bible tells us that he had a home in Galilee. The disciples and others said to him, "Where are you staying?" He said, "Come and see." And they came to his house and abode with him for the day. Stayed at his place. It's not that Jesus had literally no place to lay his head and didn't have anywhere to stay and didn't have any money. That's a ridiculous thought because the Bible tells us the exact opposite is true. Number one, when he was a little child, as I said, wise men brought gold fit for a king, frankincense, myrrh fit for a king. Opened unto him, the Amplified says, their treasure bags and blessed him scholars tell us they believe that it was the money that they gave that sustained them in Egypt when they left Herod's uh terrifying uh tyranny I guess you would just call it killing babies to get to Jesus and they had more than enough more than enough well you know the reason Mary and Joseph had to stay in a stable they didn't have money for a hotel no it's because the it was the census and everybody had to come for the census and everything was full there were no reservations. You couldn't get on Expedia.com and they showed up and everything had already been rented and there was nowhere else to stay, but it was also done to fulfill Bible prophecy, but I won't get into that. But also you move on to uh, the later parts of Jesus' life. If you honestly think that Jesus didn't have anything, you know, Jesus didn't have anything. Jesus was poor. If you think Jesus was poor in fact, I'll take you to Matthew chapter 26. Uh, if you think Jesus was poor, it's funny to me that the Bible tells us Jesus employed Judas as a treasurer. And people act like this is a, 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 an arbitrary little thing. Well, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like some accountant, some CPA. It wasn't a tre- People act like this is some small little point. Well, you know, Judas was just carrying around the bag that had the money in it. Yes, but he wasn't just carrying around the bag that, by the way, had enough money in it to take care of Jesus and all twelve disciples wherever they went. They never went hungry. They always had money to eat. They were always taken care of. Always had more than enough. Jesus never had to leave people behind because there wasn't enough money, you know, to to take all twelve disciples. They didn't have to downsize at certain meetings because you know the funds just haven't come in uh, for this meeting. So we're going to leave a bunch of you behind. They always had more than enough. And in fact, the Bible tells us that, uh, one of the reasons Jesus, uh, or Judas was mad when the woman broke the alabaster box of perfume that was worth a year's wages, a year's wages is because he said, well, we could have uh, taken this and sold it and given the money to the poor. And the Bible rats Judas out and says, he didn't say this because he was interested in helping the poor, but because he often stole from the money bag. He wanted that money for himself. Judas did. I want you to catch this. Jesus had enough money in the money bag to take care of all of the disciples and himself and for Judas to steal often. And nobody noticed it was gone. Let me tell you something, if you're poor and you've got money that goes missing, you notice it immediately, immediately. And if Jesus was walking around as a pauper and their money bag was suddenly empty, it wasn't like, well, I guess it was like, where's our money? But they had enough for the disciples, enough for Jesus and enough that Judas could steal often and never be caught. Why did they have more than enough? You know why? Because God sent people to bless them. Luke chapter eight and verse one through three. This is Luke chapter eight, verses one through three. Listen, soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him. They traveled with him. Along with some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene of, from whom seven demons had gone out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Do you see that many other people, wealthy people that provided for Jesus and his disciples out of their means? How did the money bag get filled up? It was because Jesus had partnership with wealthy people who were pouring their finances into the ministry of Christ and the disciples. They didn't lack for anything. So anybody that believes Jesus was poor has completely ignored these passages of scripture that said that they had wealthy people that were giving to them out of their means, out of their abundance. How do you remain poor? How do you remain poor if you've got wealthy people constantly pouring into your purpose, pouring into your ministry, pouring into your life, pouring into your business, you're not poor. Why would there even need to be somebody who was in charge of the of the money? If you're spending all the money as it comes in, you don't have excess money to look over, nor to steal from, to the point where nobody notices. The argument to me that Jesus was poor is one of the dumbest things that any person could say. It's one of the dumbest arguments that anybody could make after having read the Bible. There's no way that you can make a case that Jesus was poor. No way that you can make that case. He was not a poor man. The disciples weren't poor. They didn't struggle. Jesus didn't struggle. Had ships, had homes. They didn't struggle. Had excess money, had rich people sowing into their ministry. They were not poor. And Jesus, no, not only was Jesus not poor, he doesn't expect you to be poor, does not expect you to be poor. In fact, okay, two things. Number one, look at God's original intent at creation. Number one, God created things the way that he intended them to be, right? God created things the way he intended them to be. Put that in the comments. God created things the way he intended them to be. So did God just create Adam and Eve and then sit them in like a waiting room while he created a place for them to live? Or did God create all of the uh, uh, resources, the place for them to live, beautiful garden with more than enough food, more than enough uh, shelter, treat, everything they needed, and then create them and place them in it? Do you realize God would not even create man and woman without first creating an environment in which they could be abundantly blessed. That was his original intention at creation. What did Jesus come to do? The Bible calls him the last Adam to destroy the works of the devil and to bring us back into the right standing with God where those same blessings could be provided for us. In fact, if you read Hebrews chapter one, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the exact representation of the nature and character of God. If you see Jesus, you see the exact representation of God's desires. So if you saw Jesus as poor, which he wasn't, the Bible teaches that, then you think God's desire is for all of his children to be poor. Wasn't his desire for first Adam, wasn't his desire for the last Adam. I mean, you can go all through the rest of them. wasn't his desire for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Solomon, David, go on down through the line wasn't his desire for Job. And you can see that Jesus wasn't poor and it's not God's desire for his children to be poor. But to be blessed, why, if it wasn't God's desire for you to be abundantly blessed, why would he create a system in which you can be abundantly blessed? What's the point of seed time and harvest? What's the point in giving it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over shall men give into your bosom. What's the point of this? Uh, if you faint, not so God, don't be deceived. God is not mocked whatsoever man sows that will he also reap and don't give up for if you're faithful and you, and you stay faithful in due season, you'll reap if you faint, not what's the point of God creating a system for you to be abundantly blessed. If it's not his desire for you to be abundantly blessed financially. And by the way, those things that I was just quoting are in context about finances, not about sowing kindness or sowing love. It's about sowing finances. It's what Galatians is talking about. what Luke's what Luke is talking about. The, the argument is absolutely asinine. It's stupid. Jesus was not poor, nor does he expect you to be poor. So then number five, the, the fifth myth we have to uh, break is, well, then what about the poor? What about the poor? You know, people, people, people always make this point. Well, what about poor people then? What about poor people? The, the thing is this, I can't judge people's experiences because I don't know them, nor do I know their lives. I don't know the choices they've made, but I can tell you this for sure. If people are struggling financially, it's not God's desire that they do struggle financially. And so people always point out poor people. Well, I knew a guy who really loved the Lord. He was really faithful to God, but you know what? He, he never had any money. He was always paycheck to paycheck and in debt, tons of debt. Well, let me just say this, and I'm, I'm going to talk specifically to American Christians, Christians in North America, Canadians, you know, people in the United States, even people in the UK. Let me just say this to you. When you look in America And you can see that less, I think it's less than 10% of the church members actually even tithe, let alone give offerings. And remember, you haven't given any offerings until you've paid your tithes. By the way, you've not given any offerings until you've paid your tithes. Until you've paid them, you've robbed God. So when statistics show us that like less than 10% of Christians tithe, That means there's 90% of Christians riding on the coattails of the 10% that are faithful. And then you say to me, well, I've seen a Christian, you know, and I, I just know he loved the Lord, but he never had any money. There's a 90% chance. He wasn't even a tither. I want you to think about that. There's a 90% chance. I don't know the people. I don't know their lives. I don't know their actions, but there's a 90% chance statistically that they're not even a tither. When I see people, the only people I ever hear complaining about tithing is the people that don't do it. You'll never hear me once complain about tithing. And, and let me tell you, this is how I know this isn't self-serving. I'm not a pastor, I don't have a church, and so I'm not doing this broadcast to get you to start tithing. I, you're, you're not my congregant. I'm talking about this as a congregant myself. I tithe and give very, very largely. But let me tell you something, you'll never once hear me complain about the tithe, that's foolishness. It is my joy to pay my tithes. It is my joy to give. Nancy asked the question, Ted, why do you think people are still struggling with tithing? Because they love their money more than they love God. That's why. That's exactly why. And for anybody that would jump on because there are people that believe this way, that tithing is Old Testament. It's not New Testament. As I said earlier, even R.C. Sproul, the reformed theologian who did not believe in prosperity, who did not believe in the health and wealth message, even he agreed and put it into print that tithing continued on to the, into the New Testament, that the early church were tithers, that they would not have stopped their tithing because there was no instruction to stop their tithing. They would have continued on. We see it in the book of Hebrews. People were still paying their tithes all those years later. Tithing's not an Old Testament principle. It is a God principle. And there are people who do not tithe because they love their money more than they love God. That's the only thing it can be. That's the only thing it can be. They choose to Uh, willfully disobey the scripture because they would rather have their money in their pocket than they would obey the word of God. That's the only thing I can tell you. That's the only thing I can tell you. Jennifer said, what about people who who do tithe, but might still struggle? It's because the tithe is not enough to break you out of struggling. The tithing is just what you're required to do. The thing that brings you into increase is sowing seed sowing seed offerings, but you haven't given an offering until you've tithed. And so if there's 90% of the church that aren't even tithing, they've not given one, one offering. Let me give you an example. Do the math for you. If I make, and I'm going to do use round numbers to make it easy. If I make a thousand dollars a month, my tithe is a hundred dollars until I've given that $100. I have robbed God of his tithe. So We know what the tithe is. You can't change the amount of the tithe. Tithe means 10th, 10%. I give my tithe $100. I still haven't given any offerings. So even if I give $100 in the offering every month, I don't have anything in the ground for a harvest to come back to me. Not anything, not anything. So I could tithe and still struggle because I cannot have any harvest come to me because I've got no seed in the ground. But let me say something to you. For the people that don't give the $100 out of the thousand, but they'll come into church and every week they'll pop a $20 bill in the offering plate. That's not an offering, by the way, because you get to the end of the month, four Sundays in a month, 20, 20, 20, 20, you've given $80 and your tithe was supposed to be a hundred. Not only have you not tithed, you've not given an offering. You've not given an offering. And God looks at that in disdain. He looks at that with disdain. You've robbed him. And so they say, well, I wonder... What, what do you do about people that still struggle? It's time for let me give you a, a lesson that helped me. It helped me greatly. People that seem to be struggling are not sewing at the level they're supposed to be sewing. And, and I'm speaking to people that you know what I'm talking about because you're the victory tribe. but you understand this principle of doing something for God that means something to you. I couldn't. At the place I'm at in life, I couldn't drop $100 dollars in an offering plate. I couldn't drop. Two hundred and fifty dollars in an offering plate, it would mean nothing to me. It would mean absolutely nothing. God's increased me too much. It would too much. Hope says, "Is sowing to miracle word regularly considered a tithe or offering?" Need to know. Well, it depends on what you're doing, Hope. Because if you've chosen to pay your tithes to this ministry, then it's tithing. You know, as I made that example earlier, if you. Make a thousand dollars, and you are paying that one hundred dollar tithe every month to this ministry. Then it's your tithe, your tithing. But if you give beyond the ten percent, then it's an offering. The tithe of the offering is not based upon where it goes, but based upon what you give. So if I'm paying my tithes, I'm doing the ten percent of what what God's blessed me with. Anything above that is an offering. Anything above that's an offering. Prosperity. It's not that prosperity only comes by seed sowing, uh, but harvests only come from seeds. Your tithing has to be in place, Nancy. Your tithing has to be in place. Your sowing has to be in place. Blessing of the poor has to be in place. And so I make this uh, explanation this way so that people can understand, even if you, because there's people that think, well, I come in every week and put something in the offering plate. It doesn't matter because even if you came in and dropped 20 bucks in the offering every week, you, you still haven't even tithed. You haven't even tithed. You see what I mean? So the point I'm making to you is, uh, no, I understand hope. Yeah, no, tithing at church, that's what you should do for sure. And then when you sow seeds, you're sowing seeds, that's an offering hope into this ministry. So if you're paying your tithes to your church and you're giving money to Miracle Word Ministries, that's an offering. You're giving an offering. And so the point I'm making here is that people struggle, I'm answering the question, people struggle because they don't give at the level they should give. You can't give at levels that don't move your faith and levels beneath where God has raised you to and expect to be abundantly blessed and stop struggling. The way to be abundantly blessed is to do what David did and say, I will not give God something that costs me nothing, I will not. I will not give God something that costs me nothing. There's people that come in and just drop stuff into the offering and expect God to bless them abundantly. I was at a church one time listening to someone take the offering and uh, it blows my mind because they got up and took the microphone and said, I want everybody to get a $50 seat in your hand that's going to shake your destiny. I want everybody to get up and give a $50 seat. It's going to break you into a new level of prosperity. Let me give you a tip, Jack. $50 offering is not going to break you into anything at all. It's not going to bring you into breakthrough. I'm talking about for the average person, it's for, for the average person. Look at your welfare check. Even if you're on welfare, look at a welfare check. Is $50 even a tithe on your monthly welfare? Let me tell you, if, if you're in Canada and you have children, you get $600 a month from the government for every child you have $600 from the government. If you got four kids, you're getting $2,400 a month beyond what you make it work, beyond anything else, just for your children, $2,400 a month for four kids. Think about this, $1,800 a month on three kids, $1,200 a month on two kids. So uh, even if you only have one child, $600 a month you get from the government in Canada, So let me tell you something, if you go drop $50 in the offering plate, that's not even a tithe on what you get from the government in Canada for one child, for one child. So don't tell me you're breaking yourself into increase and next levels of prosperity by sowing a $50 seed because it ain't moving God. It ain't moving God at all. And people, I would, why would I ever give God something and act like it's faith when I go out and spend triple that at the restaurant on Sunday afternoon for lunch with my family? drop 50 bucks in the offering plate and go down to Longhorn Steakhouse and drop $150 at lunch. It's like, dude, that didn't take faith to do that. And the reason people struggle is because they don't put God first in a way that moves their faith. They tip God and then they spend the majority of what they have on their own pleasures and on their own lusts. That's why, if you're wondering, how come people tithe and they still struggle? That's why. Because the seed doesn't mean anything. If it doesn't mean something to you, it doesn't mean anything to God. It doesn't mean anything to God. Oh yeah. People actually said people spend more than that at the gas station for drinks and chips on a road trip. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. There's people that drop money on shoes, drop money on, on fishing equipment, hunting equipment. It's amazing how little that money seems to be when it's money for like a new shotgun or a 30-06. It's amazing how little that price seems to be when it's for a new bass boat. It's amazing how small it is when it's for a new pair, pair of heels that you wanted, you, right? But when, when, it, when you think about that, some, that same amount of money in an offering plate, people start to freak out. You know, you see a deal where you can get a bass boat that was, you know, let's say somebody was, it was originally, I don't, I don't even know how much bass boats are because I, I hate fishing. But let's say it was a $5,000 bass boat and you saw somebody had it on sale for $2,700. It's amazing how little that $2,700 seems when you're going to buy a bass boat. But then have you ever thought of it this way? What does it seem like to you when you think about putting $2,700 in an offering plate? That freaks people out. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. Oh, you know, man, those he I wanted those heels, you know. Those heels were, you know, if you're going to go buy, go buy name brand heels, see how much those those name brand heels cost. Go into Saks, pick up a pair of Christian Louboutin heels, pick up some YSLs, pick up some Pradas. Go pick them up and see how much those those uh, heels cost. And you, and ladies know, and when you say oh, that that pair of heels was nine hundred and fifty dollars, they had them on sale for five hundred bucks. What a deal! You think 500 bucks, I'm ready to part with that right now. What about $500 on an offering plate? Does it, do, you, do you feel the same way? See, because people don't, they put it, they put themselves over God and then they wonder why they struggle. They wonder why they struggle. See what I mean? And so I'm teaching you this principle because the objection to prosperity, well, I tithe, how come I'm not blessed? That's why. Because you've got to move God by your faith and by your seed. It's just what it, it's just what it is. Jess Burton said, we finally got a hold of this last year. No more standard $100 seeds. And we've been abundantly blessed this year. Praise God. Praise God. Number six, I'll give you these last two and then we'll pray. Well, the sixth objection. Well, prosperity is greedy. If you're that kind of Christian that's always believing for financial increase, you're greedy. You've got a problem with greed. Oh, really? You got a problem with greed because you believe what God's word says? You believe God's promise to you? Let me read to you the Abrahamic covenant that we're a part of that. Uh, Genesis chapter 12 verses, let me just read you verse two. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Did God say, well, I'm going to bless you. But if you desire that blessing, you're a greedy individual. No, God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great and I'll make you a blessing to the world that you live in. Do you honestly think that God has an issue with making your name great? He didn't have an issue with making Abraham's name great at all. And in fact, if you do what God said, you say, what does it mean to make your name great? That you'll be known, that you'll be an impactful person, that people, an influential person, people know who you are. If I say the name Billy Graham, people know who I'm talking about. Influence. He had influence. Influence. They called him America's pastor because he was the pastor uh, figure to so many presidents of the United States of America. He held crusades all over the world. If I say Billy Graham, people know who I'm talking about. If I say Joel Osteen, even sinners know who I'm talking about. That's a name that is great, a name that carries influence, a name that has been exalted by God, not by the devil, by God. God's got no issue with you rising up in influence, He wants you to be influential. He wants you to make an impact on your generation. He's got no issue with that. It's not greedy to accept God's terms. Please put that in the comments. It is not greedy to accept God's terms. <laughs> if God's the one that set up the system, it's his business. Why would I be greedy for accepting his terms? "Well, so if you'll obey me, I'll bless you abundantly. Oh Lord, that's so greedy. No, he set it up. And he's the judge. So if he said yes, then it's yes. He's got no problem with that. Deuteronomy 28, 12. This is Old Testament people. Old Testament people that don't have anywhere close to the covenant we have as as New Testament Christians. This was listed within the blessings he promised to bless them with if they just obey his voice and his commands. Deuteronomy 28, 12. And the Lord will open to you his good treasury the heavens to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands and you'll lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You'll lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You'll lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. He'll open up the heavens and pour out from his rich treasury. Hmm. Look at verse 11 and the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the fruit of your room and the fruit of your livestock, the fruit of your ground within the land that he swore to your fathers to give you to abound in prosperity. Well, that's greedy brother. So what do you think God did set up his children to be greedy people? Is that what he did? He promised that if you'll obey my voice, if you'll obey my word, my commands, I will make you abound in prosperity, abound in prosperity. Until people around you can't stand it. That's what happened to Isaac. The king couldn't stand it. Came to his house and said, please move somewhere else. You've gotten too mighty for us. King couldn't stand it. Supernatural. It's not greedy to accept God's terms. And let me give you the final myth before we pray. Because this blows my mind that people still think this way. But they do because they're not intelligent. We've got to do without so that the poor can have something. It's, it's the thought process of limited supply, limited supply. I want you to put that in the, in the comments. That's number seven, limited supply. That's what they think about God. Limited supply. Crazy. Crazy. God doesn't have a limited supply. God doesn't have a limited supply. The Bible says, Jesus said unto them, Truly, I, this is verse 28 of Matthew 19. Truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life but many who are first will be last and last will be first. God's got no problem blessing you. God's got no problem bless, blessing you. There's not a limited supply. You've got Jehovah Jireh. Let me break something down. Do you think God is so limited in his supply that in order for someone else on the earth to be blessed, someone else has to be less blessed? It doesn't work like that. In fact, he's the God that is so abundant in his supply That he can not only, remember this, he's the creator. So even if there wasn't something available for you to have, God could create something for you to have. He could easily create something for you to have. But remember this, you don't have to go without so someone else can have. God will bless you so abundantly that you'll have more than enough and you'll be able to overflow on somebody else that does not have enough. You won't have to do without, you'll be able to bless others and you'll never miss it. I'm just going to be honest with you. You know that we've been doing this for years now. We're blessing the the hungry all over the world, feeding the hungry all over the world. And we send a lot of money out, thousands and thousands of dollars out to bless the hungry. I've never once felt it. Our ministry has never lacked one thing because we've been sending thousands and thousands of dollars around the world to help children eat we've never felt it one time. We bless other ministries so much. We bless other ministries so abundantly. Tens and tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars that we give away to other ministries, to other ministries. We've never felt it one time. We we have more than we need. We have more than enough. We're not lacking. All of our employees get paid. All the gear we need, we have. We just bought more gear yesterday that we needed for the office. We aren't aren't struggling to buy it. Notice I didn't have to come on the broadcast yesterday and today. It's like, we really need this new gear. We really need some new things in the office. And we really need need you to sew. We need you to just sacrifice and sew today. Because there's some things we need to make sure we can do what we need to do. I didn't have to do that. We just bought it. Because we have more than enough. And we give thousands and thousands of dollars away to feed the hungry. Tens and tens of thousands of dollars away to other ministries to bless their ministries and bless what they're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're not struggling because of it. We're blessed because of it. Uh, I don't have to go without so that others can have. That's not how it works. I serve a provider. He provides abundantly. I'm not struggling in any any way at all. There's not in any form (laughs) or definition of that word in no way am i struggling the struggle is not real you'll never see me type that on facebook or instagram or twitter and the struggles a hashtag the struggle is real no the struggle is over the struggle is over because i obey the word i'm not struggling i have more than i need all of our gear is cash paid for we're not making payments on gear now, will sit here, I'll praise God, you know, in about 19 more months, the camera that you're seeing that we're filming on will be paid for. And we're just going to give God all the praise that here in 19 months, that camera, all the gear we have, everything we own is cash paid for, cash paid for. We're not struggling at all. We bless the children. We bless the other ministries. Our ministry is blessed. Our employees are paid. We don't need or lack anything. Does that mean we're not moving forward? Absolutely not. We are moving forward. All the television bills are being paid. Everything is being paid. There's nobody calling, there's no creditors from some television network calling our ministry. We need you to pay your bills. How come you're not paying? We haven't gotten any money from you. Where's your, where's your money? We haven't, nobody. It's all paid in full. And we're going to move forward and do more than we ever have. What's the key? The key is when you honor God and do what he has asked you to do, then you don't have to go without so that somebody else can have. You don't have to go without so that somebody else can have. It'll be your excess that blesses others, not your sacrifice. It doesn't have to be. That's God's desire, by the way. It's your excess that blesses others. It's not you sitting around like, well, I'm going to, you know, my kids don't have to not eat. So hungry kids around the world can eat. You know what we don't do? We say, well, you know, we're going to cut down. We usually have three meals a day but we're going to cut it down to one meal a day in our house so that other kids around the world can have meals that they can eat. No, my kids can eat three, five, seven meals. They can eat as many meals they want a day. They'll never go without so that other children can be blessed. We'll bless them, but my kids will be blessed. I'll never have to go without so other ministries can be blessed. No, I'll be blessed. They'll be blessed. You don't have to go without so some other person can be blessed. And by the way, when it comes to talking about those that are in need You know, we think we can solve the world's poverty problem. We can't solve the world's poverty problem. In fact, Jesus said specifically in Matthew chapter 26, you will always have the poor with you. Do you realize that if we equally distributed the wealth to everybody in the world today, that within one week, you'd have poor people again and you'd have rich people again within one week, probably within less than that amount of time. You know why? Because there are things that people do that keep them in a place of poverty. There's a way people live that keep them in a place of poverty. I'm just being very honest with you. And so even if we did this whole socialist agenda of uh, equally distributing wealth to everybody on the earth, it would not remain that way. You'd have rich people again within a very short period of time and you'd have poor people again. No question about it. And so to say that it's wrong to have because others don't have is a, is a complete misunderstanding of how the world works and how the kingdom of God works. Well, it's wrong for me to have so much when others don't have anything. No, it's not. No, it's not. I, don't, I will never feel bad about what I have. I'll never feel bad about the abundance that God's placed upon my life because I know the faithfulness it took to stand in this place of blessing. I will never, ever, And let me tell you this, as we're getting ready to pray and close this, this thought, don't you ever feel bad. Don't ever let anybody guilt you into feeling like something's wrong with you because you're experiencing the blessing of God. There's not something wrong with you. There's something right with you. If you're experiencing the blessing of God, it's because there's something right with you, not because there's something wrong with you. God doesn't arbitrarily bless people. He blesses people because they're faithful. That's why he blesses them. Notice Deuteronomy 28. It wasn't like, I'll bless you all no matter what you do. If you'll hearken to my voice and obey all that I command you to do this day, then I'll set you on high above the nations of the earth. That's what a covenant is. If you do this, I'll do this. If you do this, I'll do this. No good thing will he withhold from those that walk uprightly. You've got to walk uprightly if you want him to not withhold any good thing. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the whole earth. Who's he looking for? Peoples whose hearts are turned toward him, loyal to him, whole toward him. And on their behalf, he'll show himself strong and mighty. It's not for everybody. It's for those that obey his commands. John 14, 21, those who have my commandments and keep them. It is he that loves me. And he that loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and I'll manifest myself to him. The manifestations of Christ, the, revel- the revelations of Christ are reserved for those that obey him. So I'll never feel bad ever for being blessed ever because I know the faithfulness it takes to stand in this position. I know that it's me putting God first, putting his house first, putting the kingdom first. And that's how you should feel. That's how you should always think. Don't listen to any nut job that makes you feel like it's wrong to be blessed. It's wrong to abound. It's wrong to live in abundance. No, it's not. It's right because it's God's system and it's God's plan. Let me pray because as we see these things and we, I love that people are writing in the comments like, man, I've never heard. This is deep teaching. I've never heard something like this before. I'm glad. I'm glad you're hearing it because I want you to abound. God wants you to abound. There's nothing wrong with God blessing you. What's wrong is serving the blessing. What would be wrong is for me to uh, God to bless me with that bass boat and that cabin on the lake, and then I don't show up for church on Sunday because I'm out on the bass boat on the lake that God blessed me with. Then it's wrong. Then I've put the things God's blessed me with above the God that blessed me. And that'll never be the case. That'll never be the case. We're abundantly blessed to be a blessing, but a first and foremost, we're blessed because God loves us. That's why we're blessed. That's why we're blessed. Father, I pray for every person watching and listening. I pray for those that the enemy has tried to attack them, even these last 21 months, attack their finances. I pray, Lord, that you'd put the biggest seeds in their hand they've ever sown ever in their life. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them the faith to release the largest seeds they've ever given. Take them into a place of overflow. Do wonders in these final two and a half months of the year. Do wonders among your people. I pray, Lord, financial wonders would abound. Let debts be canceled. Let houses be paid off. Cars be paid off. I pray credit card debt would be erased. Student loan debt be erased by the power of your spirit. Bring them into supernatural overflow by the power of the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' mighty name, we thank you for giving us that faith to please you, to serve you, and to step into your blessing. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Now, I'm going to give you an opportunity to put that, what I taught today, into practice. There's a reason that we talk about this, that there has to be, and I've used second Samuel 24, 24 a lot. David said, I will not give God something that costs me nothing. I'm going to give you an opportunity to put it into practice to say, you know what? I'm not going to give God something that's not, that means nothing to me. That's meaningless. That doesn't take faith. That doesn't shake me. Why? We're believing for wonders. If we're believing for wonders, it's going to take the kind of a seed that produces a wonder. Hallelujah. I've sown big, big seeds this year. You know why? We've seen big things happen. The seeds have been massive. Biggest we've ever seen. Biggest we'd ever seen. I think the largest seed we'd ever sown before this year was like $15,000 or $10,000. I can't remember exactly how much. Maybe ten dollars to $15,000. And I went beyond that this year. And the largest one-time seed we sowed this year was $35,000 and gave it in one offering. $35,000. That'll make religious people pee their pants. That makes your flesh stop and say, oh, hold on. He 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 whoo. you start doing like breathing techniques from like Lama's class. He he, he. <laughs> But when you feel the Holy Spirit speak to you, you move on it. And can I tell you the stuff God's broken us into in this year? It's not cuz I felt like I'm going to I'm going to drop uh, $100 in the offering. No. I'm going to sow the largest seeds that I've ever sown. And I'm gonna tell you, next year is gonna be larger because you know what my prayer is, every year, Lord, let my seed be larger than it was the year before. I pray in Jesus' name that the amount of money that I sow in the kingdom total will be more and the one-time seeds will be more. Yes, and they will be, because God's faithful to give seed to the sower. So there's the information on the screen. I'm giving you an opportunity to step into the overflow that God has planned for your life. And so you can use MiracleWord.com. Jenna, Nancy said she's waiting for you. She submitted her partnership form. Um, You can give by debit or credit card. Do what the Lord's telling you. I know the Lord's speaking to people before we close this year out because God's got wonders planned for us, but it's going to take the kind of faith and action to step into those wonders like I'm talking about. And so today I'm encouraging you, sow that seed, partner with us, do what the Lord's asking you to do. For everybody that's sowing in this month of October that's coming to a close, we're sending you this uh, awesome book by um, E.W. Kenyon, Jesus the Healer. And uh, for those that are partnering with us, it's our gift to say thank you. Those that are sowing largely at an amount of $1,000 or more, um, we're, we're sending you as well a signed copy of the Life Application Study Bible in genuine leather. And then for those that are stepping up into the big leagues, as it were, Sowing $5,000 or more, we've prepared something for you called the elite study collection where I've put together a keepsake box. And I understand April makes this point. And I want to, I want to make this point as April saying this, a hundred dollars is a whole lot to some after the tithe. I agree with that. I understand the point I'm making is everybody is at a different level. Not everybody's at that place where you're dropping thousand dollar seeds or 10,000. I understand that. And I'm not belittling it if that is something that is big for you, that takes faith for you. Remember, the woman in the Bible that Jesus watched in the temple that was the widow who put two mites into the offering plate, she gave all she had. And Jesus said she gave more than all these rich men. So God looks at what you give based on the ratio of what you have. I understand totally what April is, the point April's making. She's saying it to some is still a lot to sow. I get that. And if that's your level of faith, and that's what you sow that moves your faith, good. Then for you, that's a seed that means something. That's why I can't list an amount that everybody has to give, because I don't know where you're at, and I'm not the Holy Spirit. But that's why we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit when we give, to ensure that what we give is never something that didn't take faith to sow. And so I totally understand the point she's making, and I agree with it. Everybody, I remember when a hundred dollars was a lot for me to sow. And I broke down. and I was like, man, I'm going to sow a hundred dollars. And I remember it was a lot of money for me to sow at that point. I remember when my wife and I first gave a thousand dollars. It was huge to us, huge, huge, but God gives seed to the sower. And as you stay faithful to God, he stays faithful to you. And so I'm going to encourage you right now, do whatever it is that you can do and watch as you expect wonders to take place in your life your family, your business, maybe you're a minister watching, you're believing for uh, increase to hit your ministry, do what the Lord's asking you to do. And I'm telling you, you will be blessed. You'll be abundantly blessed. I'm still here, Ontario, Ohio Abundant Life Church, tonight and tomorrow night, seven o'clock. We're not streaming, so you gotta be in the house if you wanna be a part of what God's doing. If you're anywhere close to uh, Ontario, Ohio, which I don't think you are because it's an hour from any airport. But if somehow you are close to Ontario, we've had people drive in from Columbus. We've had people come in from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We've had people come in from other parts of Ohio. We want to see you get in the car, take a road trip. All the details are at MiracleWord.com forward slash (laughs) schedule. And um, we'd love to see you tonight or tomorrow night or both. Um, Let me also say tomorrow... Brand new kids stuff dropping and Carolyn's going to be back with you at two o'clock p.m. You're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be a great day. So we'll have new kids content. We're going to have a brand new last gen youth podcast episode available tomorrow. We're going to have a a new episode from Carolyn. We're going to have new one in the morning. It's going to be a great day. A lot of stuff going on on Wednesdays now. So it's going to be good. If you haven't subscribed to the, the last gen podcast, you need to check it out on Apple, Spotify, Google, whatever subscribe. It's for students. Anybody will be blessed by it, but it will stir your faith. And um, I want to encourage you, jump on it. Share it with somebody that's a student. It'll build their faith. I love you. You know what? We've only got a few weeks before the uh, homecoming weekend, Friday night, November the 12th. Holy Ghost service, we wanna see you there in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, Central Assembly of God. It's gonna be off the chart. I'm very, very excited about this. We closed registration for the banquet last night at eight o'clock p.m. And uh, so now we're submitting all the numbers to the hotel and we cannot wait to hang with you at the luncheon. It's gonna be amazing, I can't wait to see you. Make plans to be with us Friday night. We're gonna have a blast and I cannot wait to hang out with you guys. I love you very much. I'll see you tomorrow morning, 10.30, and then, of course, tonight at 7 if you're here. Tomorrow night at 7. Be blessed. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you again very soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.